0: The Daily Rios, episode four ninety one, The King in Winter. Your God is awake, and God is coming. Hey, everyone, this is your host, Peter. So this is just going to be a quick casual episode, talking about a few books that I read from last week. And if you can guess from the title, from me trying to be all too clever. uh, The two books that I read are uh, King in Black, number one of five, and Endless Winter, Justice League, and Endless Winter. uh, The first bookend of that crossover event. Now, as you know... Uh, If you've been listening for a long while, I love events. I'm going to try each and every one. So that's exactly what I did with these two events. And, uh, you know, I have some mixed feelings about both of them. Um, I'm not going to go into too much depth with each of the books, but I am going to talk openly and freely about them. So if you haven't read them, but you want to, then you probably don't want to listen to this episode. But if you uh, don't care about reading them, uh, you know, then listen on. So we're going to start with King in Black, uh, number one. Uh, This is by Donnie Cates, Ryan Stegman, J.P. Mayer on inks, Frank Martin on colors, Clayton Cowles on letters. If you've been reading Venom or following Venom from the start of the 2018 series featuring some of that creative team, then this is the end point, right? This This is everything that they've been building up to. And I read a few of those first issues, and mostly to support Ryan Stegman, um, who has really taken off because of that series. And you know it was fine. It was fine. I, I kind of liked what they were doing with Eddie Brock and finding a family, and um, some of the relationship between him and the and the symbiote suit, and uh, and that's all fine. Um, I, I I'm not a big Venom reader, right? Uh, I did read the 2011 Venom series. I read about a year's worth of that by Rick Remender, Tony Moore. That featured Flash Thompson in the suit, and he was working as a government agent. Uh, And it was kind of cool. It was a different take on Venom, so I didn't mind it so much. Um, I didn't read much of the 2018 series, and I certainly wasn't going to read all of the endless sort of build-up miniseries that they had prior to this event, Um, something with Carnage, and, and, you know, just it's just a lot. It was a lot. So um, I just wanted to jump in, and I read it, and it was fine. It's very easy to understand. It doesn't necessarily go into a lot of depth or backstory. Um, Ultimately, like a lot of Marvel events, it feels like a big, dumb fight book. And I don't mean that negatively. It's something I've always called Marvel uh, event books. They just feel like... Um, there's an adversary and, and, um, the heroes go up against them and that's it, you know, there, there are some interesting things going on between the relationship, uh, of Eddie Brock and the suit that he's worn for so long. And then obviously, you know, between Eddie and, and his son, who ultimately the King in Black is really, uh, looking for, uh, the King in Black, his name is Null, K-N-U-L-L, um. There have been comparisons between Null and The Batman Who Laughs, uh, which, you know, I I guess I could see. I think ultimately, or or in a larger sense, there's this idea of both publishers starting to create um, new omniversal beings on top of the larger celestial groups that they already have. Right. You know, so there's the Batman who laughs, and then there's like even more than that. You know, there's the multiverse who laughs, or whatever. I don't know. Uh, Or think of Perpetua over in Justice League uh, with Scott Snyder, who, you know, we had the Monitor, we had the Anti Monitor, and then we had the beings that Grant Morrison had in Final Crisis, and now we have Perpetua, who was even on top of all of that. So I think that's more what people might be reacting to when they see something like Null. And maybe it's a little pushback because all of a sudden, everything in the Marvel Universe is now tied to this being. If they have anything to do with shadows or darkness, suddenly it's part of Null. And I think they did that with the God Butcher stuff with Thor, uh, which was a really great Marvel Now title back in 2012 by Jason Aaron and Isad Ribic. And suddenly God Butcher is now connected to Null. And they even pulled in some random Captain Universe story from the late 70s, early 80s. And now suddenly that's supposed to also be part of this larger um, character. Which, you know, I'm fine with. I'm totally fine with. I get it. Um, But sometimes I think it spreads a little too thin. Um, Oddly enough, the biggest draw or the biggest takeaway that I have is that as I was reading this issue, I thought, I've read this before, haven't I? And, you know, okay, you could say that about every event... But then I thought about War of the Realms, which came out a few years ago, and I thought, oh, yeah, see, this, this feels, it has the same beats, you know. Uh, both characters in, in in those events, in these two events, were waiting for something to, to come. Um, there's an attack on New York, on Manhattan. All the heroes have to come in. There's some kind of army that is very uh, representative of whoever the big bad is um, you know, in War of Realms, it was Dark Elves, and in this book, it's Shadow Dragons, and uh, there's a sacrifice in War of Realms, and there's a sacrifice in in King and Black, and um, there's an army in War of Elves, and there's an army sort of in King and Black. I mean, there's just a lot of comparisons, and uh, as an opener, I thought it I thought it could have been a little more creative, considering how much backstory they were building up to this story. And I felt the same way about War of Realms, for for as in-depth and and as amazing as all the God Butcher stuff is, once they got to War of Realms as an endpoint, I thought, wow, this is kind of cheap and lame. Um, I also didn't like the cliffhanger to this issue, which is just Eddie Brock falling, falling down to the city. You know know he's going to be saved. I mean, there's so much story yet to be told between him and his son, and and the symbiote suit, and and null. I mean, there's it's I don't know. It just felt kind of weak. Um, Got to give it to Ryan Stegman again. He's come a long way from the days of Marcosia in two thousand five. It was fine. It was it was a bit standard plot wise, but. You know, again, if they're going to draw in uh, people who haven't been reading Venom up to now, great, fine. Then, then I guess this is for for you. Now, they did have a bunch of text pages, which I liked. They had a timeline. Obviously, they had a checklist, and then they had something called Heirs to the Throne. Um, yeah, I mean, Null certainly gives off gives off a Game of Thrones kind of vibe, uh, and and it feels that way with this Heirs to the Throne backup page. Um. So yeah, so that, that was that. And then we got to Justice League Endless Winter. This is by Andy Lanning and Ron Mars, Howard Porter on art, High Flight Colors, and World uh, Design did the letters. The flashback sequence to uh, Justice League Viking is by Marco Santucci, Arif Prianto on colors, and Troy Pateri on letters. Now this is uh, a bookend, so there's two bookends, and then the crossover ties into some titles. Um, but also into some specials as well. I was going to do a breakdown to this, but after reading the first chapter, I thought, mm, yeah, it doesn't go too in-depth in the way that I like a book to go when I'm going to do a breakdown. So it's fairly standard as well, just like King in Black. Um, again, there's a <laughs> oddly enough, there's a lot of Thor connection here too because the, the big bad is the Frost King, that Justice League Viking um, put away, you know, millennia ago, and when he goes up against the Justice League, he blankets the DC Earth in winter, very much like the way Thor did in the '80s, um, the Thor comic, I should say, when Malekith, the dark elf, elf, um, found the Kate, ca- uh, opened the casket of ancient winters, and suddenly the Marvel Universe is blanketed in in winter, and it's kind of like the same thing happening here. Very odd. You know, DC pillaging from Marvel, Marvel pillaging from DC, etc., etc., etc. There's not a lot thematically going on here, so if you're someone who is tired of all of the big ideas and big concepts within DC's events, then this might actually be the book for you, because it's fairly standard. There's a big bad. He has an army as well. He's going to go up against the Justice League, etc., etc., etc. There are some character beats between the Justice League members, I kind of like that the writers touched on what is going on with all of these characters individually from their own titles, but but a lot of that's not front and center because it's really about their sort of relationship. And then there is a larger conversation going on, spearheaded by Flash, who wants to talk about how to juggle and balance life and work and family. Uh, I don't know where that's going to play off, but I, I, I kind of like that. And then... Um, the book also touches on a lot of DC concepts like the Fortress of Solitude and uh, a couple cities. Um, also, the the Stag family from from the Terrifics title. If you know Simon Stag and Cif- Sapphire Stag, um, you know going all the way back to Metamorpho and Batman and the Outsiders, etc. Uh, Howard Porter is pretty great. I lo- I always like his artwork. And again, we have the Frost King, just like we have King in Black, just like we had the Night King in Game of Thrones. Now, I did want to touch on the whole Justice League Viking concept, and that's how this issue ends, where we get a flashback to uh, 10th century Egypt, and we see Black Adam being uh, woken up by Shazam um, and meeting Hippolyta and Swamp Thing and the Viking Prince, and uh, they're... Uh, Obviously, the the main story to this title uh, has its roots into whatever the Justice League Viking is going to do uh, against the Frost King back in the day. Now, I've been reading in a couple places, and there was even an article uh, on CBR uh, where they hit this point about, oh, this is just DC ripping off Avengers BC from the Jason Aaron Avengers title. And you want to just say, no, no, not at all. I mean, they're all playing in the same sandbox. um, But Legacy has always been a thing with DC. And um, they've done stories in the past. Jeff Johns did a whole JSA BC uh, in his JSA run where they put like Dr. Fate, Naboo, and they put a metamorpho-like creature way back and Black Adam and Shazam and and, um, the Hawk Hawkman and Hawk Girl, before, you know, in their in their Egypt identities, um, there was even a storyline called Obsidian Age from Justice League of America when Joe Kelly was writing it, that had a Justice League type team back in uh, I don't think it was prehistoric times, but it was in ancient times around the time of Atlantis. Um, there's been a JLA JSA crossover featuring Jonah Hex and Viking Prince and Black Pirate and other characters pulled from various times. Or you can go forward with the Justice League 1 million. I mean, the very concept of DC is, is has always been about legacy. So this isn't a new idea. Where it tends to be a new idea is really for Marvel. Um, for them to do this uh, Avengers BC, um, I, I mean, some of it makes sense. You know, I could see maybe having the star brand be around for a long time. Um, Odin is long-lived so he was the Thor uh, archetype back then. Um, there was a prehistoric creature uh, that felt like he was... Well, he was empowered by Starbrand, and then he looked and felt like a Hulk-type character. Um, Phoenix was around, and we learned that she was a lover for from for uh, Odin. Where it starts to stretch is, is that there was a uh, a Black Panther going all the way back and, and an Iron Fist character going all the way back, and... Um, uh, and a Ghost writer, even, I think, right? So some of that is, while they have roots, I mean, to go all the way back then, does it really make sense? Probably not. Is it cool, though, in comic book terms? Sure. Same thing that they're doing here in Endless Winter. Um, I really don't have much more to say about Endless Winter. Um, it com- it continues this week in Flash 767 and in a Superman special. Uh, I'll probably read it, but I don't think I'm going to really talk too much about about it, um, it did make me think this whole Avengers BC and Justice League Viking, um, one of the things that I did actually think could, could work with Marvel, not a legacy type aspect, but, uh, something different, so when they did Neil Gaiman's 1602, and they put all of Marvel's characters back in, um, you know, the, the 17th century, um, There was something interesting as I was reading it to the effect of instead of having a um, Spider-Man, instead of having Peter Parker or Steve Rogers or Tony Stark um, constantly show up in all these different eras or instead of having uh, a character that would start a lineage like the way Alan Scott did and then Hal Jordan and then Kyle Rayner, you would just have beings or people who fit a certain mold. And, and this kind of was the same way in 1602, and I remember talking about it on one of the CGS Book of the Months, I think, about how you could take this concept and run with it throughout all of Marvel time. So it's not that Steve Rogers is there. It's not that it's an ancestor of Steve Rogers. It's just someone who kind of picks up the Captain America role, whatever that is. Or thematically, there's a Spider-esque character or a Hulk character or, uh, you know, some kind of inventor. And there you get your Tony Stark. You know, think back to, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a... I'm not up on my history, but, like, if you go to, like, Victorian London, uh, is that when Jekyll and Hyde was there, right? Like, that's obviously a Hulk character, and maybe you throw in some kind of, like, steampunk inventor, and there's your Stark Iron Man equivalent. Pick some patriotic character, some uh, uh, American that comes to London. You know, I actually liked when... um, uh, in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie, they brought in Tom Sawyer as this, like, adventurer, this American adventurer, and or spy, or whatever. That's kind of what I mean. Like, who can fill in these roles depending on what timeline you're in or what era you're in? That's what I think could be really cool about Marvel, is that they there's these aspects of the larger Marvel universe that continue to pop up, and... Um, every generation every millennia whatever Uh, i think that could be fun to explore okay so those are my thoughts quick and easy nothing too deep as i said let me know what you thought of those two books if you're reading them a couple other things here i watched uh, a documentary on amazon called image revolution the image revolution all about the formation of image comics a lot of this is territory that I, I know, but if you don't know, it might be an interesting documentary to watch. There are some things that I learned. I also thought it was really cool to see a lot of footage from, from the early 90s, which is pretty great. Um, again, it's about the formation of, of Image, all of these top-tier Marvel creators leaving Marvel, telling DC to go pound sand, and forming their own uh, publishing group. Um very interesting to see how, when they formed Image, they would then go on to form all these little companies within Image, like like Homage and Extreme and Top Cow, Wildstorm, and then eventually how it would all split apart and how it split apart, like all the events that led up to um, the partners coming together, the partners separating. Uh, it's a great look at the 90s. There's some really funny impressions by Rob Liefeld of Todd McFarlane that are worth seeing. And then it jumps to Robert Kirkman joining Image uh, and, and going from there. I think the documentary was probably around 2014 or 2015. So... It's, it's, it's cool. It, it was fun. I, I quite enjoyed it as I was watching it, and it reminded me of a book that came out from Tomorrow's by George Corey called Image Comics, The Road to Independence. Again, uh, sort of an in-depth analysis of everything that went on to form Image Comics. You might learn something. It's kind of fun to see pictures and videos of these creators when they're younger and to think of um, where, they, where they've gone all the way now up to 2020. So go check that out. Um, I watched that. I think I talked about another documentary on Amazon called Chris Chris Claremont's X-Men. I might have talked about that before. That was another documentary that I really liked too. Um, finally watched both seasons of One Punch Man. Uh, the second season, not as not as great as the first season, but still really good. Uh, and it's a whole thing about heroes versus monsters, and there's still that existential thing going on, uh, not only with um, uh, with One Punch Man, but with the big bad from um, the monster side of thing. And it kind of takes a, a reverse look at not only what it is to be a hero, but what is it to be a villain that is constantly beat on by a hero. So, I don't know, it's just something... It's It's interesting, and I really got to read the manga now, because I'm enjoying... Um, what I've seen. Now, I'd, unfortunately, there is no season 3 yet, and season 2 ends on a on a cliffhanger, which kind of stinks. But um, yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I'm also watching Blood of Zeus, which is a Netflix anime original, uh, just because I love Greek mythology. It's okay. Uh, it's another thing. It feels very by the book, and all the beats are kind of the same. If you've ever read or watched anything that had a character that is kind of like a man of destiny, and then on the other side is a bunch of demons, um, you probably already know what's going to happen with this show, you know, as the hero learns about his history and his lineage, and then um, how that might connect not only to the gods, but to the demons as well. Uh, Again... Uh, I like Greek mythology, so it's kind of fun to see how they're portrayed. They're portrayed very much like superheroes. So, like, Hermes runs very much like the way Flash does. Um, And the way the other characters utilize their abilities, it's, like, straight out of the comic books. So, it's kind of fun, you know. But it's only eight episodes. I'm watching it. I think I'm four episodes in. It's, It's okay. Okay, I think that's it for this episode. Um... An update on the fundraiser, I'm now at 85%, woo, after a few generous donations uh, from a bunch of people. Um, Yeah, that's just awesome. Um, I'm just looking around for some deals right now. I was all ready to uh, go ahead and purchase the laptop. Most likely I'll have it for the new year. Um, But it's just kind of nice that a couple people, you know, uh, not only some some really nice big donations, but uh, a few repeat donations, which is just so amazing and humbling and Um, I just have to thank everybody for, you know, continuing to support what, what I'm doing here. And, uh, like I said, I should have the laptop by the new year and yep, still selling my comics. So if you are someone who wants to give to the show, give to the podcast, that would be a way to do it. You know, uh, I can send you a list of all the comics that I'm selling and I'm adding some as I read more comics. I just dump it onto the list they're going for super cheap, and the shipping is done by media mail, so that's cheap as well. And all, the don- all of those funds are going into the laptop, so that's a way to help support what's going on here. So, all right, send me an email, peter Visit the website, thedailyrios.com. Follow me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios, or follow the Instagram, the Daily Rios Instagram. Uh, this has been The Daily Rios, episode 491 for Tuesday, December 8th, 2020. Talk to you soon.